0: on Futuro Media and PRX. It's in the thick. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela.
1: And I'm
2: Fernanda Santos. I am the editorial director of Futuro Media, and I am so happy to be here with you today, Julio.
0: Right, and you're filling in because...
2: Maria is out reporting, doing the amazing things that she does. So I'm stepping in to uh, bring to our listeners the news of the week.
0: ITT Sound Off. This is our little Friday ITT Off. Yes, Maria, um, just follow her on Twitter. She's sharing some things about her reporting that I'm going to let... You all, you know, read for yourself. But listen, super happy to have you guest co-hosting Fernanda. I'm so excited when the producers told me this. I mean, I miss Maria, but I'm like, oh, my God, Fernanda's with us. Just so you all know, we are in the studio in Harlem.
2: First time in the recording booth with you.
0: This is okay.
2: This is a moment.
0: All right. So let's get to it with our first topic, which is the ongoing gun violence in this country. You know, There were two separate mass shootings, less than 48 hours apart in the state of California. The first one happened at a Lunar New Year celebration in Monterey Park, where 11 people were killed, all of whom were of Asian descent. For people that know Southern California, Monterey Park is a city there in California that is 65% Asian, and it's an ethnic enclave that is known as the first suburban Chinatown. So less than 48 hours after that in Half Moon Bay, which is up north in California, there was another shooting at two different farms where seven people died. Reports say the victims were Asian and Latino farm workers. So these two tragic incidents show how much gun violence continues to be an issue just over three weeks into 2023. And there have already been at least 39 mass shootings that we know of. 39. There's 31 days in January, just giving you guys, you know, <laughs> there's more mass shootings than days in January. And so the far.
2: month is not even over And yet. the
0: month is not even over. Thank you for none, other. Exactly. So we want to play a clip from Democracy Now. Connie Won, who's co-founder of the AAPI Women Lead Organization. She was on the show with the fabulous Juan Gonzalez on Tuesday. So let's listen to what she said about the attack in Monterey Park and the gunman, who's 72-year-old, Hu Kan Chan
2: your response to hearing that this was this was an attack on the Asian community by a, another Southeast Asian?
1: Uh, I thank you for that question, Juan. I think, you know, I've been saying this um, for a number of years. There, The violence against Asians and Asian Americans is multi-layered and it extends far beyond the discourses of hate or even hate crimes. The violence against us has been historical and I think that it's really important that we also begin mainstream America in particular, begin to really have an intersectional analysis of racial and gender violence, um, and in particular, I want to say racial and patriarchal violence, right? Because I think you know reports have said that uh, Mr. Jung is. Uh, or he had a a history of being angry, um, that there may be some relationship to interpersonal violence, uh, perhaps gender-based violence. And I think, you know, survivors of and victims of patriarchal violence are across the gender spectrum.
0: So, Fernanda, so much to unpack there, but I also want to share more news out of Memphis. Police violence against Black and brown people as we all know, is ongoing in this country and what's happened in Memphis. Five ex-police officers are facing murder charges for the death of Tyree Nichols, who's a 29-year-old black man who died three days after being brutally beaten by police during a traffic stop on January 7th. So the video of the incident is set to be released Friday evening, but Tyree's family watched it and said it was horrific and I can't even imagine. So a lot to unpack here. Yeah. My biggest take on this, Fernanda, for the Monterey Park one, it happened in a place of joy, a dance hall during Lunar New Year. Can you imagine? I mean, what are your thoughts going through your head this week?
2: You know, every time one of these mass shootings happen, we get into this whole conversation about strengthening our gun laws and red flag laws. And all of this, I think, is really necessary. But once again, and we heard uh, Connie Wan talk about that in Democracy Now!, we hear somebody say that the shooter had been angry that the shooter was isolated that the shooter was had issues with his family and i think there is a a problem with isolation and despair in this country that we need to address as well yeah. you know mental health issues yeah. and Yes, we have to talk about gun control and better ways to prevent people from gaining access to guns, but we also have to talk about expanding mental health services to people who cannot afford $300 an hour to go to a therapist right. or to pay out of pocket for medication that they might need to help them.
0: Yeah, the stigma, right? We have to destigmatize sort of that type of sense of isolation. It's all connected. Right. And what Connie's saying, even the complexities within our own communities.
2: Right. Right. We we tend to be so black and white with everything. Right. It's guns. It's racism. But there's a lot more that goes into that. And talking about the police violence in Memphis, if you look at the police officers who are facing murder charges, They're not all white. Yes, when you think about the fact that one's attitude towards somebody of a different race impacts those decisions, there are also other things at play. And I wonder as far as training goes with police, how much of that racial sensitivity is being communicated in a way that is not stigmatizing also and not boxing in the black police officers as someone who's there to Right or wrong, so to speak. Yeah, it's
0: a, it, there's no full understanding. It's almost like a checklist item for police. It's like, oh, we got to do this because right. of our All right. Well, a lot to talk about. It's something that we're going to be following throughout the year. It just makes it just breaks my heart. The one in the dance hall, but the farm workers as well. Just, oh my just I don't even I, Can you I,
2: imagine the people who are harvesting the food that we eat.
0: Yeah. They can't uh,
2: even go and do that kind of work without feeling threatened by violence. Hi, it's Maria Hinojosa, host of Latino USA. We all love great stories. And great stories are what we pride ourselves in delivering to you every week. Latino USA presents a mix of reporting on culture and politics, diverse voices and coverage of current and emerging issues, featuring stories from the heart, stories that will make you think and maybe even inspire you. Listen to Latino USA on your favorite podcast app from PRX. Moving on to our second topic, then, which is the protests in Peru. Thousands of people have taken to the streets in response to leftist president Pedro Castillo being impeached and taken to prison in December after he staged a failed coup attempt. President Castillo was a hope for change for his supporters. Many of them are poor rural people. And they are middle class indigenous people. Right. They are really the heart and soul of Peru. Yeah. In response to the anti-government protests, which have been going on since early December across the country, security forces have resorted to extreme violence. At least 55 people have died so far. Wow. 55 people. It's a lot of people. Yeah. Peru's new president, Dina Boluarte, has called a national state of emergency in Machu Picchu, the historical site, the place that every American, everybody knows about, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Has been shut down indefinitely as a safety measure. The anti-government protests in Peru are continuing a pattern that we've been seeing across Latin America in countries like Brazil, my home country, Mm -hmm. Colombia, Chile, in fact, Julio, you spoke to Peruvian professor Roger Marino on Latino Rebels radio last week. And here's what Professor Merino had to say about the response to the protests. Let's take a listen.
0: Instead of trying to dialogue with the people, to have inclusive discourse and social orientation agenda, the first uh, discourse that she proposed was to criminalize any attempt of protest. I think that in the last year, we are playing a very dangerous democratic game. Yeah, you know, the
2: protests in Peru are something that a lot of us have been talking about as being very deeply connected to the great divisions in the country in terms of socioeconomic, in terms of the white, quote unquote, and the indigenous yeah, populations. Yeah, it's such
0: a rural and, and Peru has like systemically been like that, right? Like, the, right. like for and, centuries. And,
2: and what we have to ask ourselves is what has sustained that very rigid hierarchical structure. And it's, in my opinion, it, one of the big pillars is corruption. Yeah, Peru, like much of Latin America, has been besieged by corruption. The corruption means that money that should have been and would have been invested in poor indigenous rural communities yeah. is taken by the elites to support their lifestyle. And the hell with it. You know, we don't care about these other people. They have no voice. They have That's, no influence. Right.
0: You know, like, yeah, you've seen Peruvian television, how... They're looked down upon. And and the thing with Castillo, who, by the way, is not the most perfect leftist person out there. He was, yeah, he, Latin he America
2: is uh, lacking those he, perfect he, leftist yeah, people.
0: He's, uh, he was right. against gay marriage. Right. He was against women's rights mm-hmm. to choose, right? But what's interesting and in just covering what's happening, and I, I wrote a piece for MSNBC that talks about two things. The issues of inequality and systemic racism in Peru and what's happened with, especially with the right wing, with the shining path that mm-hmm. led to Fujimori, mm-hmm. right, in the 90s that led to that dictatorship. And it's pretty clear that there is this sort of autocratic class in Peru who does not want the indigenous and the rural poor to have any like access to democracy. And as imperfect as Castillo was, right? Populist, teacher, rural, self-proclaimed Marxist who is against gay marriage, which I still can't (laughs) put my head around that. He tapped into the anger of sort of this, the Lima crowd looking down on the rural crowd and the rural crowd's like, we're done with this shit. Right. Because, you know, Peru's gone through like, I think, five presidents over the last five years. And it's just fascinating. The other point I make, when you talk about inequality and systemic racism, people go like, the United States will never be Peru. I don't know about that. You know, it couldn't, down the road. Inequality and systemic racism, it's the worst inequality in, in years. And we're allowing autocrats, we're allowing election deniers in positions of power, right? and It's sowing the seeds because, you know, the anti-protester crowd is quick to call all these protesters terrorists. So all of a sudden you bring these issues of the shining path from the 80s, you know, that whole time. And people remember that. And people remember that. You know, I was actually talking to our fabulous senior editor, Andrea Lopez Cursado, Latino USA, who is Peruvian. Mm -hmm. I, I saw her this week. I'm in New York. And I was like, your country is just breaking my heart.
2: Did she tell you the United States is breaking my heart too? Because that's what I always say when people talk about Brazil. (laughs)
0: Exactly. But I will say the last thing about this before I move on is Peru is now a third rail Latin American political issue because anything that you publish, it's like when you publish things about Venezuela or Cuba, like people are like, if you're not with us, you're against us. And it's really hard to cover this as a journalist to try to give it the perspective. Just my thoughts. Any final thoughts on Peru before we move on?
2: As with any story, the greatest takes are in the shades of gray between the black and white.
0: That's where we and live. we
2: can have other shows and talk about all the different things you brought up, but we have a third topic.
0: Today. Yes, sir. thank you. Look <laughs> all right, guest co-host. Keep me on track for the producers happy. <laughs> all right, our final topic is Meta, the company formerly known as Facebook, which also owns Instagram and WhatsApp. So on Wednesday, Meta. I still can't get over the name anyway, announced they would be reinstating former president Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts two years after they banned him on January 7th, 2021. The day after the attempted coup at the U.S. Capitol at the time, they said that his posts ran the risk of inciting more violence. Now in the blog post stating that Trump will be reinstated. I'm going to read what the president of global affairs for Meta wrote. Oh, please. <laughs> I can't wait. I, we talk about this all the time, you and I, but this is the quote. The suspension was an extraordinary decision taken in extraordinary circumstances. The normal state of affairs is that the public should be able to hear from a former president of the United States and a declared candidate for that office again on our platforms." And talks about the good, the bad and the ugly of a political like people need to see it all right. So on Thursday, Mara Gay from The New York Times, I love her writing, I love her takes, talked about Meta's decision on MSNBC. Let's take a listen. You don't want to, whether you're a company or an institution, you don't want to hand over the keys to democracy to have someone destroy that democracy. So do you want to be that institution that really helps take down the country. I mean, this is a, this is a business. So yes, it's a little bit different than a public institution, but we should still be asking the moral question. I mean, if this was years ago, we would ask moral questions. Do we want a chemical company as a chemical company? Should we be supporting weapons of war? I mean, these are questions that are not new in American history, but we should be asking them. And Facebook may not have, or Meta may not have the same responsibility as a business. I and mean, it has a responsibility to its shareholders. Fine, but we can still ask those moral questions and we should. Your thoughts on all this?
2: Well, you know, if we were living at a time when fake news wasn't an issue, right? Yeah. When Facebook, WhatsApp especially, were not used as distribution channels for this alternate reality that Mm. so many people, not only in this country, but all over the world. Take it from a Brazilian. We've talked
0: about this. Listen (laughs) to the Brazilian today.
2: You know, that (laughs) has caused problems within my own family, right? Many families out there. If we were not living in these times, I would say, sure, give him back his ability to post on Facebook, on Instagram, and The lies, the alternate universe he lives in, you know, but that's not the case. Yeah. This is dangerous. This is a dangerous decision. But unfortunately, even if Meta had not allowed Donald Trump back into its channels, Donald Trump has so many platforms and so many people who listen to him. People still
0: talk. I mean, here we go again. He's in the news and this is the problem, right? These things happen. And then it's free media and journalists start, you know, pontificating and it's hard, right? This statement is ridiculous. (laughs) I mean, can I just read a couple of other points? Like, it came across as like, well, you're back and we're really going to follow you. So be careful. Because if you do it like again... Like that has
2: ever stopped him from doing anything like, he didn't
0: want. But this is the part of the statement that drives me, like... Social media is rooted in the belief that open debate and the free flow of ideas are important values, especially at a time when they are under threat in many places around the world. Fucking Trump is a threat to democracy. You're literally giving this guy the opportunity to lie more and more and just... And that's the part where I just find so hypocritical about Meta. Give me your last final take of the show as guest co-host before we close.
2: My final thoughts is that I'm really focused on living my life independent to what's being talked about in social media. And I really wished that more people would do that. It's so great to be here in the studio with you. I know, I'm having a blast. Face to face. It's just a whole other level of interaction when you don't have a screen between you and the rest of the world.
0: As I read from a script on my iPad. Well, but
2: that's different. <laughs> it's, a, you know, you have, it. you're using it as like a text, you thank know. Thank
0: you. I did tweet something this week. I don't know if you saw it. I said, I've been tweeting less and less, and it's been amazing. And all I'm doing now this week is like sharing song lyrics from all my favorite songs in the 80s and the 90s and the There aughts. you go.
2: And doesn't it make it feel so much better? Oh, it's <laughs> like,
0: it's just like, anyway. So, Fernanda Santos, thank you for being on and filling in for Maria. It's yeah, been a, it's been a blast. Yeah. I'm Julio Ricardo Varela.
2: And I'm Fernanda Santos. Uno, dos,
0: and remember, go to Apple Podcasts to rate and review us. Also, if you're listening to the show, please just five stars. Tell us how fabulous Fernanda was because, you know, that's <laughs> it's important. It really, really helps. Now you can listen to In the Thick on all major podcast platforms. Check us out on the web at inthethick.org. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at In the Thick Show. Like us on Facebook and tell your friends. And this is the part where I read the credits mm-hmm. for everyone, but we're going to take a moment because we have some bittersweet news to share. Our incredible producer, Harsha Nahata, this Friday, today, is her last day with us at Futuro and in the thick. I don't even know where to begin, so I'm just going to say, Parsha, I love you, I'm so proud of you. Thank you for everything. I'm so excited for your next adventures. I mean, you got to know Harsha pretty quickly since editorial director, you, I, any well, thoughts ca- about I Harsha? I called
2: North Saudi and Harsha Nahata Narsha. <laughs> they are such an incredible team and obviously I will miss Harsha very much, but I feel like we planted a seed, right? We, This beautiful plant has sprouted and now she's going to spread the beauty and the amazing things she's learned from us in other companies and she's always part of the family. I like to say somos familia.
0: Yeah. I also bribed her with cheesecake. At juniors when I took her out <laughs> and said, "You know, you can get more cheesecake if you hang out with now, I'm just kidding, Harsha, you know we love you and you're always gonna be part of this family. And if Maria were with us in the studio, she'd be saying the same thing. And yes, this in the thick show was produced by Harsha Nahata along with Nor Saudi, the duo Narsha. The, the Narsha, the other part of Narsha. Oscar Fernandez and our New York Women's Foundation Ignite fellow, Daniela Tello Garzon. Our editorial director is Fernandez Santos. There you go. This episode was mixed by Rosana Caban. Our audio engineering team is Stephanie Lebeau, Julia Caruso, Gabriela Baez, and JJ Carubin. Our marketing manager is Luis Luna. The music you heard is courtesy of Nacional Captain ZCK Records. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. We have a lot of things going to be happening in the thick, so I'm just going to tease that for y'all. All exciting news. Peace out, everyone.
2: As Maria likes to say, no te vayas.
0: There you go. Fernanda, this show is called In the Thick. Um, It's a political podcast show.
2: Oh, I thought it was something (laughs) else.
0: Um, So I don't know if you've listened to it.
2: Yeah, I, I've,
0: okay.
2: I've, I've heard, I've listened I'm really, to it I'm really glad times. you
0: stepped in. This will be a fun way to end the week.
2: The opinions expressed
1: by the guests and contributors in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily reflect the views of Futuro Media or its employees.